Kim Newman of Empire Magazine called this film an acutely observed, beautifully performed, lovingly directed media morality tale that resonates far beyond its 1950s setting. New York Times critic Janet Maslin called it a rich, handsome, articulate film about a subject truly worth talking about. And letterboxed user Yeah Boy said maybe I'm a sucker for great screenplays with great dialogue and great flow and pacing, but I very much loved it. And my boy Martin being a slimy corporate fuck loved it. And was that a split-second Ethan Hawke's cameo? Great movie. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Quiz Show. Sequel. Re re reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhood Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. Welcome to Ruined Childhoods. My name's Dan, and with me is my brother for real, John. How's it going, John? You you keep on saying brother for real. Yeah. (laughs) Well, but I mean, I don't know if someone's listening to this for the first time. You know, they... I don't think that anybody's expecting for you to be using slang, though. Like... You know, referring to me as your brother in a, you know, a, a figurative sense. Okay. All right. Noted. <laughs> I will I will put it in my notes. I appreciate the feedback. Thank you. I will refrain from that specification in the future. <laughs> it's all good. Dan, how are you? Oh, I'm well, John. Well, indeed. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, you know, I am just trying to figure out, I, you know, you know, just a little bit of behind the scenes. Uh, you know, I'm about to move into a new house, so I'm kind of trying to figure out, like, how am I going to set up my, like, recording area? Where am I going to do that? How am I going to do that? Where it's not going to be echoey? You know, all of those things. And, yeah, so uh, that's at the at the front of the mind, but... I've been really enjoying uh, watching all these Robert Redford-centric classics uh, recently. I feel like I've gotten a little bit ahead of the game. And also, you know, certain things have come up on other episodes that have encouraged me to watch other movies, like Snake Eyes. I think we brought up on maybe the last episode or the one before that. Oh, yeah, because we were talking about, uh, yeah, De Palma, and I had been watching... Yeah, we were talking about De Palma. I'd been watching was... Dress to Kill. Oh, okay. And we talked about... Right, and we were yeah. talking about some of... Yeah, like, uh, just an appreciation of, of De Palma. So, anyway, so so Snake Eyes, yes. Yeah, which I, I'm pretty sure I had seen before, but I, I, I found it so enjoyable that Kevin Dunn is in it, yet Gary Sinise's character's name is Kevin Dunn. And I just, I just love that. They didn't have to do that. They didn't no. have to either cast Kevin Dunn or keep Gary Sinise's name as Kevin Dunn. What a funny thing. It is, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. I think Snake Eyes is one of those movies that I have only, I've never watched the whole thing. Oh, really? 
I feel like I've just seen it in bits and pieces. And it's I agree, like it's so much fun, but I'm I'm always oh that was a that was a good, you know, half hour of of snake eyes. And I think I've seen the first, like maybe 30 to 40 minutes. Uh, well, I mean, the first shot is this, this long shot. Well, seemingly long shot. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, that's fun. And I believe that the movie actually takes place in real time. It's like one of those, that was right. a, a hip thing to do. So it's, I, I don't know. It's fun. The, the ending, uh, not to give anything away, but like it, um, it's kind of funky the way that they do it, where it's just like, "Ooh, you could have just ended there," and then it like keeps <laughs> on going even further. And it's like, "But you could have ended so long ago, and it would have been fine." Like it's kind of uh, funny. You know, that that's way. kind of a, a De Palma trademark is being a, a just a bit extra. <laughs> 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 Sometimes, like okay remove the just a bit but uh and, and i don't remember if i mentioned it but i uh, also just wanted to kind of shout out the documentary de palma uh oh, never seen which, it which was kind of like something that had triggered my interest in looking beyond you know my my notions of brian de palma uh, which had previously been like, okay, you know, a decent, you know, uh, kind of Hitchcock pastiche, uh, uh, uh-huh. you know, filmmaker slash, you know, like he's got a good style, you know, because the Untouchables is, uh, it, you know, loaded with homage to to cinema, uh, you right. know, but it, it definitely has a different style than I think a lot of his his earlier films uh, which I think Snake Eyes goes back more to the De Palma style, and like like Raising Cain, I feel like was after he did Bonfire of the Vanities, which was just a disaster. And I I feel like he was like after that he was like fuck it, I'm not gonna try to win Oscars anymore. I'm just gonna make the shit I want to make and like have John Lithgow do crazy shit. And that was and then that was Raising Cain. And that was Raising Cain. And Raising Cain's a great movie that perhaps someday we will talk about on this I'd podcast. I'd love to. I've actually never seen it, but I love John Lithgow. Oh, all right. Yeah, definitely uh, on the to-do list. Yeah. Once we get through our stack of Redfords. Yeah, seriously. And and yeah, we're just, and I mean, we're not really doing a theme month it is just we are we are just exploring the filmography of robert redford because here's how here's how that went down not? just to our, our our dear our dear listeners uh we both just want us to watch a bunch of robert redford movies <laughs> so <laughs> there we are and and you know the one they were talking about today is not in but directs we've talked about uh other you know, when we did Lions for Lambs, he directed that one and, and was also in it. Um, we we did Lions for Lambs simply because I wanted to do a month of vaguely March-themed right. movies. Yes. And it just kind of fit. And um, I enjoyed otherwise, doing Lions Otherwise, for I don't Lambs. think we would have ever done Lions for Lambs. But I, yeah, I it gave me an excuse to watch it, and I enjoyed it. And Robert Redford was great in it, and I thought did a hell of a job directing it as well. Because I feel like Lions for Lambs, at least for me, and I feel like for a lot of people, is probably one of those movies that you pass when you're like scrolling through the options and you see it streaming and you're like, huh. And well, then you just go like, past it. It's like Robert Redford. Okay. Andrew Garfield. Interesting. Okay. Meryl Streep. Tom Cruise. 
And it's like you're about to press play, but then for some reason you just go like, yeah, let's see what else there is. I surely right. would have heard more about this if it was that right. good. You're like, okay, all the and I haven't heard. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but yes, he directed uh, Quiz Show and was not his first uh, directorial effort. Previously directed, uh, among other things, uh, A River Runs Through It. Ordinary right. People, I think, was his directorial debut. Which is that, one hell of a movie. That he won the Oscar for, like, uh, famously beat Martin Scorsese, uh, you know, for Raging Bull. Who he then cast in Quiz Show. Exactly. Well, and he also casts, uh, we talked about Barry Levinson, director of Barry The Natural, Levinson. also in Quiz Show. But in a, you know, so, it also, like, both of them, Scorsese and Levinson, have, like, you know, d- decent supporting roles. They're not just sure. little cameos. Right. Uh, so, so yes, uh, he, uh, so we're looking at the career of Robert Redford. He was not, was he nominated for Quiz Show? Yes, he was nominated for Quiz Show. It was nominated for Best Picture. I think it was nominated for a lot, but didn't win because that was the year of Forrest Gump versus Pulp Fiction. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. With Shawshank Redemption as the, like, you know, dark horse third party candidate and four weddings and a funeral thrown in there for Brits and giggles. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, when you're making a movie, sometimes you just don't know what other colossal successes are going to be on the cusp. Well, and also it's like, and that's also, I'm not saying that's, that's like, you know, the point of it. And, uh, it's, it's such a well-made movie. It's a movie that I did not see in the theater but saw on on VHS upon its upon its release, uh, and uh, you know I've just always enjoyed it. Uh, I'm intrigued by the. Well, I I feel like I've always remembered you being a Turturro fan, and well, I think that like you know, just having like known you at the time or like whenever you would have been talking about quiz show, be like, oh yeah, well, John Turturro's in it. But the funny thing is though, like that John Turturro, as great as he is in this, and I was after Barton Fink and Brain Donors, Yeah, I was definitely, you know, like what else has this guy done? been in uh-huh but john turturro was not the like you know if anything like ray fines who i you know well, this is also Schindler's the same year right wasn't this also the same year as the english patient no the english patient came out two years after quiz show came out in 96 oh yes okay so uh but uh, like ray fines uh, you know like schindler's list he was just incredible right in, in that and I, I think this was the like the next thing he did after the follow that. up. Yeah, yeah, you know. So and and also, I mean, just the the subject matter, the history of it. The you know, this was a real thing that happened, right? And and you know, I just want to address something else, and and it's it's interesting because the last movie that we did is the natural. Was the natural? Was the natural? And um. You know, that's a movie that was that came out in the 80s, came out uh, 10 years before Quiz Show. And it's about 
baseball in the 30s. So it's interesting to me that we're doing, you know, these movies that kind of take place, ex- you know, like it, they're, they're period pieces and it's kind of like going a similar number of years back in the past. It's interesting that we haven't done a river runs through it, which I think takes place in the twenties. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. I haven't seen a river runs through it, but uh, I, I don't know if, if it's, you know, just, that Rob, I, I know it was definitely popular to make movies about the fifties and, and the thirties. I think that there are some decades where, you know, I don't, you don't see as many movies like now being made about like the eighties or nineties in the same way. I, right. you see some every now and then, but like, it's not done the same way that like in the eighties and nineties, they were making movies about, the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Though I would say in in our contemporary context, a lot of these, like, I guess, mini-series uh, that are, you know, streaming and you've got, like, the impeachment effects, like, all these, like, Ryan Murphy, yeah, uh, you know, impeachment and OJ thing and all that. Like, these are things that might have been movies, but... Sure. Well, but I I kind of want to tack on to what I was saying and that you see a lot more movies being made. I I will just say like lately, if they're not, you know, present day or in the future, if it's going to be in the past, there's a lot of stuff that's like in the 70s. And I, I feel like a lot of it has to do with, you know, making a movie that takes place in the 90s. People just didn't look as cool. I don't know, like things just didn't seem as cool in the 90s. Well, and so it's like it's I think it's harder to sell something where it's, you know, I think that um, I mean, this was 2000. This took place in 2003, but a movie like Spotlight, where it's just like this uh, this era where people just kind of uh, didn't really. uh, Wasn't a lot of the fashions of the time were a little. Like, and ah, we can just ignore that and, uh, you know, frosted tips and, you know, well, pleated yeah, well, khakis. It, it's funny because you have, like, the early to mid-90s, you know, the where it's grunge and... Right. It, it's kind of like, what are you going to do? Remake reality bites and singles? Yeah. Uh, you know, so you've got you've got that. And then there's, like, the... I feel like the 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 death of Kurt Cobain kind of sent things spiraling. And next thing you know, we've got zoot suits and swing, yeah. you know, revival. Like that's when I would want to, I would do an, a movie set in 1997 against the swing revival. Oh my God. Of, of like that year, like 1996, 1997, like throw a lot of mighty, mighty boss tones and like real big fish on the soundtrack. Yeah. There yep. you go. Uh, yeah, that was a weird thing that happened. But it's kind of funny <laughs> because, like, you know, I, the 90s were definitely an era where there was a bit of an identity crisis. And I think that you're right in the sense that, like, grunge has, had like, had its own special thing. And, you know, the death of Kurt Cobain kind of, you know, it put a bit of a, a punctuation 
on grunge where then those grunge acts turned more into just like alternative rock and then more mainstream rock. I'm thinking of bands like Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, then of course you have, you know, Soundgarden, Audio Slave, all of that kind of stuff. And um, some of the other bands just kind of disappeared a little bit, maybe went more into obscurity. I mean, certainly, you know, you'll see, you know, like, Bands like Dinosaur Jr. continued on. Right, right. Stuff like but that. But they were also uh, part of Evolved it. into a different type of like indie rock, alt rock kind of a situation. Well, and like those bands were also, I think, more on on the margins than, you know, like, like Nirvana. Like Dinosaur sure. Jr. stayed... Uh, and I think that was kind of like, you know, part of their, that part of their thing. And like, you know, Flaming Lips, uh, another... Yeah another example but uh it's actually interesting you know one of the in my like you know creative time when i like to toy with screenplay ideas and never finish anything but one of them is actually set in 1994 and it's kind of and and you talk about that identity crisis and it is kind of about that because it's set in in the fall of 1994 so you know, in uh, the wake of kind of because that and there were the uh, there were other like deaths, other real tragic deaths in that era, like Shannon Hoon from Blind Melon yeah. and Lane Staley, uh, uh, Allison Chains. So, it, um, it, it kind of like you said, really punctuated. That era, yeah, but I also wouldn't say it put like a, a definitive punctuation, more of just like a semicolon, not a semicolon. No, but it was, but, but it, you know, but it was all like you know, and then the next, you know, the next thing, you know, Weezer's like the big thing, well, and <laughs> right. So I think that what what I was really thinking about is how like, and you know, you you started to really say this where it's like you know, grunge ends and it because of this you know very significant death. And by the way, I realize that we've gone way crazy off topic, but We're I swear we'll back. get back there. We'll We're come coming back. back. Uh, so you know, it, the, this this very significant death really shakes things up, and it's almost just like the the like the world of. Uh, popular culture more specifically music is just kind of like well oh well we had this idea that this was where things were going but i guess not anymore so like what do we do now and it's like i don't know swing dance let's try that maybe like ska will get more popular um well, you know it was like there, yeah it yeah. Was, I mean, it was like, you know, it, it was like Weezer, Offspring, Green Day. It's like, we have this and then swing dancing. But anyway, John, you made so perfect parallel segue because you kind of have that sudden, that end, that kind of like wake up call, the, the you know, cold slap of reality, which yeah. is a lot like what happens in Quiz Show where the sure. the kind of the facade and it's very much about the facade of the 1950s and the and how the media was so instrumental in creating that facade but also in it really understanding the manipulation of people yeah i i think that it's you know it's no like it's not hidden that the uh, 
the way that this story is told, which this was a true story, but the way that it's told makes it feel like it's more of like a Cold War allegory. Uh, you know, if if there's to be some sort of more, uh, you know, analytical spin to be put on um, uh, Dick Goodwin's memoir that this is, you know, based off of, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, there's definitely a lot of that that's put into it. And it certainly makes sense to do that. Uh, and and using television, which at the time that this takes place, which is 1957, you know, television is still very new and it's a bit of the Wild West, similarly to what we're seeing now with like the internet and the 24-hour news cycle and uh, the way that information comes comes to us. And at that time with television... They're saying this game show, the, you know, the questions have been sealed in a bank vault and you can say whatever you want. It doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily mean that it's true. And uh, nobody's really been questioning them about this. Like, really? Are they really sealed in a bank vault? You know, and then we see how things are really happening behind the scenes, manipulating the viewers. To sell Geritol. <laughs> of course. Uh, so, John, why don't why don't you jump into uh, the synopsis before we uh, before we go any further in in talking specifically about quiz show? Sure. So, by the way, uh, Dan and I, I guess about an hour ago, uh, texted and Dan was like, do you want to record tonight? And I was like, sure. Just need to write the synopsis. And this is all like. Me typing on my phone really super fast, uh, you know, just tried to, like, get all of my memory of this movie, which, you know, <laughs> I've seen so many movies since then, but, you know, just on here. So I feel like I, I feel like I got it. So let's see how this goes. 21 is the hottest show on television, but it's only 1957, so options are a little limited. 21 is a game show hosted by Jack Barry and sponsored by Geritol in which two isolated contestants answer advanced general knowledge questions, wagering their points until one of them reaches 21. Jeopardy style, the winner moves on from week to week until they are dethroned. As the film begins, we meet the reigning champ, Herbie Stemple, a Jewish man from the outer boroughs of New York who is the talk of the town. The only problem is that ratings have plateaued and the network wants him to be replaced by a more handsome champion. They ask Herb to take a dive and in return they would put him on a panel show. Herb reluctantly agrees and takes the fall on a very easy question. This means that the new champion is the dashing Charles Van Doren, the son of famed poet Mark Van Doren and nephew to famed biographer Carl Van Doren. Charles, a bright scholar on his own, was then fed answers by the producers in order to keep his streak going and the ratings climbing. Meanwhile, a young attorney from the House Committee on Interstate and Foreign Commerce, named Dick Goodwin, picked up a thread about potential rigging on the show 21. This led him to several past contestants, including Herb Stemple. Herb admitted that he was also fed answers and that every moment of the show was scripted down to the way that they dabbed their sweat. Herb became enraged when the network backed out of their agreement to put him on the panel show. He also claimed that there was an anti-Semitic discrimination afoot. Goodwin also became close with Charles Van Doren, who did his best to come across as unsuspicious as possible. Goodwin even joined Charles for his father's birthday celebration. 
This gave Goodwin a much better insight into Charles and his motive for having success outside of his family's enormous intellectual shadow. But then Goodwin gets a smoking gun from a past contestant who mailed himself a sealed postmarked envelope containing the answers to the show that would tape two days after the marked date. Knowing that he's backed into a corner, and after confessing to his father, Van Doren deliberately loses the show. After the hearing, sorry, at the hearing, Stemple fails to provide a reliable enough testimony, so Van Doren is subpoenaed and gives an honest testimony that ruins his careers in both television and academia. But this doesn't mean that the case against the network is won. The producers take the hit, saying that they acted on their own. And so uh, I'm just going to run down the cast list a little bit. You know, John Turturro is Herb Stemple. Uh, Rob Morrow from uh, Northern Exposure is uh, is Dick Goodwin, who's so good. I thought that he was fantastic. He he got a lot of flack for his performance, too. I think mostly the, the New England accent. But yeah, no, I think I Rob Morrow does good. a fine job. Does a fine job. Yeah, I thought that he was totally good. And I was just like, why do we... Why have I not seen more of him? I, I know he's been very active, but it's just like, man, like, can't believe we didn't see more of him. Uh, Ray Fiennes is Charles Van Doren, and he's amazing. Uh, we have uh, David Paymer as one of the producers. Paul Schofield as Mark Van Doren, who's so good. Wonderful. I, he was Academy Award nominated for this. Oh, good. He was fantastic. Um, we have uh, Hank Azaria. Christopher McDonald is Jack Barry. Um we have blah, 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 Mira Sorvino as, uh, as Sandra Goodwin. Uh-huh. Um, the, this is just a really, really fantastic cast. Uh, Martin Scorsese plays one of the like executive producers, I guess. Um, yeah, he, he's yeah. a network. You got Griffin Dunn in there. So you yeah, got Scorsese and Dunn together again after uh, After Hours. After Hours. After After Hours. Yeah, after, after Griffin, hours Dunn is, Griffin Dunn is more like a cameo than yeah. any of the others. Yeah, yeah, he's the Jerry. You got Timothy Busfield up in there. Yeah, I love it. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really incredible cast. You have a very young Callista Flockhart as... Uh, one of Charles Van Doren's students. And uh, Ethan, Ethan Hawke, Hawk, speaking of reality similarly. bites. <laughs> speaking of reality bites, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's just, it's a really incredible cast. I feel like it must have taken some restraint for uh, Robert Redford to not appear in this himself because clearly there are many places where he could have gone. He could have been the head of NBC. He could have been the Martin Scorsese character. He could have been so many different roles, but, you know, I don't know if it was a choice to not appear, but yeah, so I, good. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I kind of don't see him really like, and, and I'm a, I, I love Robert Redford, you know, I, otherwise I wouldn't have agreed to watch like, I don't know, a dozen of his movies, uh, <laughs> back to back, but, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I I think that you know if it, if it was restraint then then good on him. If it was just like you know awareness and recognition that his appearance in the movie might be distracting from the story or or might stand out. I mean, like, yeah, yeah but you, you know, really as can't... we see, as we saw in Lions for Lambs, you know, he's very present in that one. But and he fits. He fits. He into fits. That. He fits yeah. into that perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. This I don't I I don't see as much. Uh but but anyway, it's it's great. Um 
like Ray Fiennes is is excellent. I love uh it just it's a very it's a very slick feeling movie yeah it moves it's really engaging uh i think that it it exists in 1957 in a way that is identifiable without feeling like you need more you know not having lived in 1957 uh i feel like this all felt right to me um, right. It wasn't like, you know, hitting you over the head with like 1957 type stuff. It was just like, this is the story. Here we are. Here's what's going on. Right. Yeah. No, it wasn't all about, yeah, like 50s, 50s. Let's yeah. have like the soundtrack and all the, you know, all the songs that you need. Uh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, it uses the, it uses like Mac the Knife in a really... Yeah. I think it opens and closes with Mac the Knife because doesn't it isn't is Mac the Knife playing in the in the opening when he's he's looking at the car? Goodwin is, uh, oh, I think you're right, yeah. And then it closes with that like kind of slow, more like loungy version uh-huh. of Mac the Knife, which is yeah, uh, you know, a really really interesting choice. But the score is is excellent. I mean, it's it's great. It's just a a really well made. Hollywood movie, you know, just like one of those, like, it's just an excellent example of a genre film about a, you know, true controversy in in history. Yeah. And I think that if you, you know, look at, like, as we've mentioned earlier, like those early successes of Ray Fiennes, Schindler's List, Quiz Show, The English Patient, you know, it's three extremely different roles. And uh, I i mean, it's been a long time since I've seen The English Patient. I feel like my memory of Schindler's List is a little bit more f- fresh than English Patient. But like, he plays them all so perfectly. He fits into them all so well. Because <laughs> he fits into the 1940s and, and 50s so well. I think yeah, all three I, of those take, take place with him. <laughs> well, that's true. He has like you know, especially in the 90s, he, you know, he had this very just like classic, you know, leading man look. Oh, yeah. Um, Schindler's List, I think that that's a different, uh, you know, type of type of role there. But, well, no, you know, yeah, because he was also very convincing as a Nazi. Yes, absolutely. But, uh, and, you know, it's incredible that he's really aged with his you know, into the roles that he's been taking, whether it's in the in the 007 movies or, of course, the Harry Potter films. Well, you know, he, Wes Anderson and the Coen oh, brothers. Oh, my God, absolutely. Grand, uh, Grand Budapest, Budapest Hotel. Hotel, Hail yeah. Caesar. I mean, if you listen to any episode of this podcast, you know how much we love him in Hail Caesar. I know. Well, hey, that goes back to the uh, the 40s. So here we are. <laughs> there you, you know, go. Uh, Lawrence Lorenz, big stands out here for, for Lawrence Lorenz. <laughs> I would watch Merrily We Dance any day. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like for me, my memory of Quiz Show, and this was maybe the third time I've seen it. I think that, like, I saw it somehow, maybe on, like, HBO or something early on, and then uh, I watched it at some point several years ago as an adult, because I was like, Oh yeah, I probably had no idea what I was watching at the time. And then, um, watching it just the other day. And, uh, it's just, 
it's so enjoyable. I really love the 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 vibe of it, the pacing of it all, um, the intrigue of this real scandal that went on, and uh, you know, like we talk about a lot. You know, the as as one matures as a person and and learns more about the world, you can rewatch movies and and see things in them through a different lens. And I feel like that was my experience this time. And maybe it's, you know, knowing more about the era and the Cold War. And I think that at the, you know, maybe like the time I had seen it before this, certainly I was knowledgeable about, um, you know, early television and so I think that I watched it more like on a surface level then. And then this time I watched it with a more analytical eye. And uh, it was a really enjoyable kind of like third viewing where it's not like, okay, I've seen this movie. I know what to expect. Uh, I'm just going to kind of have it on in the background. But instead it was like a full experience as if I was kind of seeing it for the first time. Um, yeah. So that was fun for me. I don't know. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. For me, uh, just to kind of add to what you were saying about the awareness of, of the era. Uh, I, I, I mean, I've seen this movie. I owned the VHS, but I never had it on like, you know, DVD or, or Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. So I think my viewings of it were, you know, over the last 20 years, maybe a little fewer and farther between. But definitely since the last time I saw it, I've just become much more educated about the 1950s just based on when uh, when I because I, I teach at least two books uh, that are set in the 1950s. And you need the context of the 1950s to oh, yeah. really, you know, understand them. So I you know, research. I read Dave, David Halberstam's whole book, the fifties, which I read that like a while ago. Uh, but just knowing, and then kind of recognizing how this fits in, but also knowing about the era and, um, it, it helps you also recognize when you're watching a movie like this, what is probably not getting into the movie. Oh like, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so much more, that, you know, that happens behind the scenes, not just behind the scenes of 21, but yeah. there's just so much more involved to these decisions and big business and, you know, Geritol having a say over, you know, what's broadcast right. on uh, NBC and what it, what you have to do to be on the public airwaves and accountability and the way, like, you know, committees running Congress and things like that. So it it's, you know, you watch it and you know that like, okay, this is not meant to be the, you know, blow by blow account of the entire, you know, invest, investigation, I think, which was like three years. Yeah. So, well, uh, yeah. And also just to kind of uh, talk a little bit more about the the personalities. And these are the things that might not have been so much that like true to life. And I'm thinking more about like Herb Stemple and like, I don't know how accurate it is that, you know, his in-laws, you know, 
gave them a lot of money and he wanted to be the provider for the family and not have to feel like he ever owed them anything. And, you know, I, I thought that that was a really intriguing plot line, the motive for Herb to, you know, do all the things that he did. And you get a lot of from Herb based on his, just the way that he kind of lives his life, the way that he speaks to people, the, the, I don't know. He definitely comes across as somebody who is like, but I am owed this. I deserve this. I, I worked for this. And, um, I'd be curious to learn a lot more about the real Herb Stemple to see what exactly he was, what he was like. I'm sure that there's some truth to the things that he would say and the way that he would speak, but like, um, to learn more about his motives and he just want is somebody who wants to like be known and to like have this platform because you know he he made his name even if it was uh for i don't know you know i don't, I don't know under false pretenses as you know being a smarty pants and he was a smart guy and uh yeah oh. and and i don't know and there's a lot more to it in the fact that like they made him uh lose on such an easy answer and i don't know if that was just to make it seem more justifiable that it was, um, you know, a rigged situation. Well, John, uh, you know, because I'm a studious fact checker, I, of course, have Wikipedia open. And uh, a lot of what I had read and you know, granted, uh, my research on Herb Stemple did not extend beyond Wikipedia. <laughs> but uh, it seems like a lot of it is pretty accurate. Uh, I think his in-laws uh, were, I think his wife, you know, did come from a well-off family. And it, that was like, it, it was like three episodes in a row that he went up against Van Doren. Uh, mm -hmm. It wasn't right. It wasn't just like. There were two ties, I believe, before it, there was the win. Yeah, yeah. And um, it was who, who? What motion picture won the Academy Award for 1955? Marty. Yeah, and it's just. Have you ever seen Marty? You know, I I remember seeing it, but I don't remember it. It's so much. It is like when he says, "I saw it three times." Uh -huh. It makes perfect sense. The, like Herb Stemple was the guy, like the underdog, because Marty is all about uh -huh. the underdog. Uh, and it's it, it is kind of funny how like the situation in real life is like, wow, like you couldn't write this better. I know it's because yeah. I was I that was one of the things I really wanted to know about. And I was like, OK, I need to at least like look into this somewhat like I can't do hours of research, but. I need to look into this somewhat because it just seems like so well scripted. Yeah. But it looks, at least according to Wikipedia, uh, seems to be pretty accurate. But yeah, he was really smart. He went to uh, uh, went to Bronx High Bronx Science, Bronx High School of Science, a, you know, 
She has an amazing reputation. Uh, was on their like, uh, you know, the quiz team. Uh huh. And like they were undefeated. Uh, he he did serve in the army. Um, looks like during uh during World War II, but not like right at the end of the war. And okay. uh, but he'd stayed in the army, and uh, he went to counterintelligence school. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah. So it's really like this is a really interesting guy who, I, I, and I think, and, and this kind of, I'm, I'm going to get into this in a little bit, but it, it seems like if it were not for like other factors, like this guy could have been like you know had a you know pretty significant position like he had the brains for it but sounds like maybe there were a few other things that he had working against him yeah yeah oh quiz show i'm not sure because well because you know they talk about uh you know they they reference him seeing a therapist Mm -hmm. in the movie which i I I was looking for more about that, and I haven't oh, okay. really found an, anything more. Well, that's about that's that. something that'd be kind of hard to verify. I'm sure that there's something somewhere. I mean, I guess you could always read Goodwin's book, right? See what it says yes, in there. Yeah, and I, you know, I I I'd be I'd be interested to read it. I yeah. And yeah. and I will say, you know, I uh, the screenplay was um uh written by Paul Atanasio 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 Yeah, who was nominated for the Academy Award for best adaptive screenplay for this and for Donnie Brasco uh the uh just a few years later and um oh, also right. from the Bronx. So yeah. uh perhaps yeah. he has a particular interest in the uh in the in the Herb Stemple yeah. character. Paulie, yeah, Paulie yeah. from Boston Road. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, also uh, wrote Disclosure in '94. Uh, wrote Sphere, Some of All Fears, uh, The Good German. I remember when The Good Where's German came out. He, yeah, yeah. Good German, which also is a uh, '40s. Right. You know, it takes yeah. place in the '40s. I liked, you know? I, I liked. I remember liking that. I thought that was really uh, yeah. well done. So uh, anyway, uh, and what's interesting so anyway. is and anyway, uh, what's interesting is you look at uh, so uh, Dick Goodwin died in 2018. Mm-hmm. Charles Van Doren died like the same like a month, like within a couple of weeks. Oh wow! Of Goodwin, yeah, because Goodwin died May 20th, 20, 2018, and then Van Doren died. Uh, April 9th, 2019, sorry, so almost a year later. And then Stemple passed away in uh, uh, on April 7th, 2020. Wow. So almost a year to the day after Van Doren. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Okay. I know, it's just, it's, it's just these things that are just really, uh, you know... <laughs> Kind of neither here nor there, but very yeah. interesting. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, pour one out. Pour yeah. three out. 
<laughs> without uh, you know, without those guys, we wouldn't have uh, the movie quiz show. So there no, you we go. wouldn't. We wouldn't have that. And, uh, you know, Richard Goodwin was also uh, married to uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin, the uh, author and historian uh, who who I met once. Uh, oh, really? Went to go hear her speak with uh, our father. Went down to uh, to Rutgers to hear Doris Kearns Goodwin speak. And he really wanted to uh, to meet her afterwards. All right. So, cool. Uh, so yeah, so, um, and I didn't realize then that that was where the good one came from. Oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, well, you know, Dan, it's, uh, it's always a joy to revisit this movie and I hope to watch it again in like 10 years and maybe see it through a different lens and, uh, experience it differently. Maybe by Um, then you will have been a contestant on a quiz show and you'll have well, some, Dan, some insight. Oh, you know that I was. Oh, wait, yes. <laughs> <laughs> tell us, tell the Starfighters okay. about your quiz show experience. Okay, so <laughs> the year is two thousand seven. Uh, I had just moved to Los Angeles from Philadelphia. And I uh, did not have a job. I was trying very actively to find work. This is a time when it was still reasonable to go on Craigslist to try to find job listings. So I would go on Craigslist, amongst other places, and I would apply to any job that felt like it was something that, you know, would interest me. My my of, my goal, of course, was to uh, be in the entertainment industry and, you know, specifically television i was hoping for uh you know narrative television instead i ended up in you know non-fiction television or in uh feature films however i um had a hard time finding work for a while and i was going through craigslist and i just thought what can get me money and i saw something looking for contestants for the pilot episode of a game show. And I thought, well, if I'm not going to earn it, I may as well try and win it. And so I submitted whatever they wanted me to submit. All I knew is that it was for the G4 network, which I don't believe exists anymore. But for anybody who isn't familiar with the G4 network, it was it was geared towards geeks. You know, it was like very... Very video yeah, game gamers, but it was also very yeah. just like pop culture-y and, you know, it was just kind of like general geek dork stuff and so i was like great perfect i wear glasses that you know why not and so i um i sent in all my stuff or whatever and then i got a call or email or something from them saying like oh we'd love to have you come in and audition and i was like okay and nowhere ever did it say what this game show was and so i uh was just like, sounds good. And then I go in to this like studio in Burbank and I was just like, so what is the show? And they said, it's a pop culture trivia show. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so they put me on camera and they asked me a series of like pop culture questions, which I nailed i you know it was just like i i'm pretty sure that i got all of them um 
and they called me back for another audition to do it again. And I was like, okay. And then they were just like, well, we'd actually, we'd love to have you on the pilot episode of this show. And I just said like, oh, fantastic. They, um, I was definitely going to be paid for like my time there. So at least there was that. And um, I show up the day of the taping and there's just like a room full of people in their like 20s or whatever. And I was a little confused and somebody from the network said like, or the production company came in and said like, so I, we actually need to do one more round of auditions for (laughs) the like executives at G4 who are here. This is all in person you're just going to get into these lines and then you just kind of come up one by one and say this and answer a question or two and blah, 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 blah. And so I go through all of that and they say, we're going to select uh, three people uh, and then those are going to be people in the first round. And if there's time, we're, we're going to uh, bring out these three people um, to, to do another episode. And so I was in the first group, and it was me, another guy named John, which I felt like was a weird decision on their end, but they <laughs> liked this guy for whatever reason. And then there was this girl who I don't even remember like being part of anything else, but it was like attractive girl. So it's kind of like, oh, okay, so you're going to have two people that the audience looks like, and then one person that the audience probably just wants to look at and i'm just saying what is probably going on and so uh that's when we find out what the show actually is and so myself and the two other contestants are competing against each other in a game of pop culture trivia but we're also competing against a three-year-old chimp named Willie. And the show was called Beat the Monkey. And it never actually went to air. Uh, This was (laughs) taped during the 2007 writer's strike, where they were just like, what can we do where we don't need writers? It was hosted by J. Keith Van Stratton, who also hosted Beat the Geeks on VH1. Uh, I did an episode of my podcast, uh, Hey Teens, um, where J. Keith Van Stratton came on and we talked about it a bunch. It was really fun. And um, yeah, so I may as well just tell the whole story because we're, we're here talking about Quiz Show. So uh, that's also when I found out that uh, in, in my efforts to get money, I would not be earning dollar points in this competition. The points were all bananas. And so, Dan, have I told you all this before? Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Definitely. I'm, I'm just, I'm enjoying It's probably been a while. It. I'm, th- yeah. but no, but I, I remember as soon as you mentioned it, I remember <laughs> pretty much all of this. So, uh, okay. So the first round goes and I am by far in the lead. The other John gets asked to 
take his bananas and get the hell out of there. <laughs> they hand him a tray of bananas. He walks out. Uh, and by the way, it's being it's multiple choice answers. And we either hold up a card that says A, B, or C, and the chimp hits a button that's A, B, or C. Now, wait, were the questions locked in a vault? Prior Not to, to my this? knowledge. I'm pretty sure that uh, they were just scribbled on a on a note card. John, did, were you given the answers beforehand? I was did you most, need the money that badly? I was most certainly not given the answers, and I even got a question wrong. That was a total Marty situation. Oh where no! I'm like, <laughs> I, it was. I, I don't remember exactly what the question was. I think it might have had to do with the, the like the triple X movie, the like the triple X State of the Union, like the sequel to that movie and uh i had mixed up ice tea and ice cube and it was just like uh uh, yeah it really was triple x in that one yeah it was really um upsetting for me i don't know but even even, that being said you teed when you should have cubed that said that said though i went on to the next round and then um i was still in the lead and the 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 woman next to me was uh you know theoretically supposed to just be handed her bananas and asked to leave but instead she had a chance to win back her bananas with a basketball free throw competition in which she and I threw you know like uh foul shots and Willie did slam dunks and I uh, <laughs> Try as she might, I she did not get enough bananas to catch up to me, and so it was uh, it was just me and the chimp um, head to head. And then Dan, here is where it gets very quiz show, because uh, Willie and I essentially took turns answering the same questions, but I went first. And Willie was in an isolation booth with headphones on so that he couldn't hear me or like anything like like he would know anything that was going on. (laughs) It was all pageantry, which is kind of amazing. Did they coach the monkey? Did they coach Willie on how to mop his brow? (laughs) Yeah, right. So uh, and then the the result of that is that. and at this point, it's like I had my 75 banana points. Those are all there. And it's just a matter of like who can answer as many of these questions within like one minute correctly, you know, answers more of them. And uh, Willie beat me by one. And so Willie won a trip for two to Palm Springs. And I walked out of there with 75 bananas. <laughs> So, uh, as I was leaving, I was like, so, uh, let me get some, let me get those bananas. And there's like, do you really want them? And I was like, I, yeah, <laughs> why not? I I'm pretty sure I didn't them. take, They're I'm pretty mine. sure that I didn't take all 75, but I definitely took a bunch of bananas and I, I'd have to ask my, my roommate at the time, uh, if he remembers anything about me coming home with all those bananas, because <laughs> we definitely both ate a lot of bananas for the next few days. Um, but yeah, that was, that was my quiz show experience, but it got shelved. Um, you know, once the writer's strike ended, they just continued doing what they were doing. And uh, during the course of time when I was uh, working in television, 
a a number of editors that I had worked with who had worked on G4 shows, I asked them, like, do you remember hearing about anything called Beat the Monkey going on around 2007? And some of them were just like, I do remember, like, editors working on that, but I have no idea. Like, I didn't see it. I just remembered hearing that people were working on that. And so uh, there's uh, a shelf somewhere in a storage unit with this on it. It's in the it's in the vault from Raiders Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right. Y- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it didn't air because the writers strike ended, not because it was called Beat the Monkey. Uh, no, the Dan the set was like decked out, like it was all <laughs> Beat the Monkeyed up. It was great. Um, it was. <laughs> Uh, it was a full on like they call game shows shiny floor shows. Like uh-huh. this was a very legit setup. It was amazing. Uh, so the shiny yeah. floor that is, is slippery. Plus you've got the banana peels and oh, forget it. It's just you know, wow. But uh, I remembered when what we a story. An, when we initially walked out to our like podiums or whatever, we were instructed like you are not allowed to talk to the other contestants. And the way that it was set up was like the other guy named John, the woman, me, and then Willie, who was like a little bit further away and had like his trainer like underneath his little podium and stuff. And so I just remember turning to the girl next to me and just saying, I love him so much. For a second there, I thought you were going to do like, you know, pull a, a, a W at the Trump inauguration. Be like, this is some weird shit. And yeah, no, seriously. Well, yeah, it, it essentially, uh, we were it, all thinking it. We were all it, thinking it. But yeah, I, I don't know I, what, what is more surreal, but yeah. But, you know, and, and I will say this for anybody uh, who has seen the movie Nope. Uh, all I'll say is that uh, Willie was three and once they get a little bit older, that's when they have to, they can no longer be on sets. And he needed to take breaks where he would go into a trailer with like his older brother and be a chimp. Oh. And not rip our faces off. Got it. Yeah. So you just go into the trailer, like, you know, fight, piss, throw shit around. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they did, but. And uh, then they. It, it, <laughs> It's like working with Dustin Hoffman in the early 80s. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, they gave him some blow. Just let him do his thing. Um, yeah, so that was that. Dan, have you ever been on a game show? I have never been on a game show. I, you know, man, I would have loved to have been on. I would have loved to have been on Beak the Geeks, first of all. I have a fond memory of that show. And Well, I mean, the I Star Trek it. geek was uh, Gabriel. Was Ga- Gabriel from Trekkies. I know. Yeah. Uh, I remember the music geek. I really enjoyed the music geek uh-huh. on that, and um, and I I think I did like took the online test for Jeopardy. I was wondering if you ever did that. I would, yeah. I mean, Jeopardy's something that that I could, uh, you know, the thrill's kind of gone now. You know, now that Alex is gone, I yeah, like yeah. I yeah, but you know, I mean, maybe someday. You know what, Dan? It's still Jeopardy. No, I know, I know. Yeah, it it is still Jeopardy, and I, you know, uh, someday, who knows? Maybe who knows? But no, never, never been on a game show. So, um, there you have it. Yeah, you know, hey, bucket list. There you go. Well, Dan, 
let's talk just a little bit more about Quiz Show. I know that we don't typically do uh, like true stories so much, uh, but it makes it right. more challenging to talk about doing a sequel or anything like that. But I don't know what 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 would you do given the chance to do something new with with the Quiz Show verse. Oh, um, well, e- easy. I would, uh, you know, do something about Beat the Monkey, of course. <laughs> do a quiz show style, you know, like in the spirit of quiz show, you know, Beat the Monkey. <laughs> I don't know what what else you would, uh, I don't know what, working with Willie. Uh, no, uh, so what would I do with the, so as I alluded to before, there's so much more than fits into this, uh, you know, sleek two hour and like 15 minute movie. There's so much more to the story. There's so much more to the people. I mean, uh, you know, Jack Barry, the the host of, of yeah. 21, played by Christopher McDonald. Uh, you know, like what happened to him? Like, how yeah. did this ruin his career? Did this... Like what happened to him after that? After this, what what was his experience while all this was going on? What did yeah. he know? What did he not know? Uh, you know what? Like, there's so much more behind the scenes to this that I would want. I, I think I think like a like a series, like a limited series, would really do it justice. Oh, I know yeah. that there was a there was a documentary. Prior to this, mm-hmm. uh, prior to Quiz Show coming out, that it, it like this, uh, basic, like inspired the movie, uh, the documentary, uh, in addition to uh, Goodwin's book. But I, I would lo- like let's see a dramatization. But like, what's more, like what about Charles Van Doren? I feel like there's the slightest hint in this movie that Charles Van Doren was gay, and. I don't because they kind of show him like once he's famous and he's like this, you know, NBC sponsored celebrity and he's out on the town with all these women. But he doesn't seem to have any, uh, you know, like relationships. I mean, he was he he was married. Uh, I do like how there wasn't any you know, romantics, you know, romantic subplot. Right. And I suppose that it'd be hard to do that if there wasn't something like that in real life. And I know that you can still fudge things a little bit, but like. Well, he know. got married in 1957. Oh. Yeah. So like. So there was something. The, right. There's more. Yeah. There's another, there's another life there. There's his family. We know that his father and mother were both renowned poets and father sure. professor yeah. Columbia University. Um, what's what's funny is if you look at pictures of the actual Charles Van Doren, uh, he uh, he actually looks more like Paul Schofield than Mark Van Doren. <laughs> uh, no, he looks a lot like like the, it is. It's it's kind of scary. I'm looking at this funny. picture of him right now. And uh, oh, I, Paul Schofield was so good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's so much more like Herb Stemple. So like if, if Herb Stemple was, cause they, they kind of talk about him as this uncredible 
witness who, you know, tends to exaggerate and that like, you know, NBC was paying for him to to, uh, you know, be in therapy. And what was he having like like in the in quiz show? I think they talk about him having like five sessions a week. Uh, right at some point so i'm like i want to know more about herb stemple like the character is i don't want to go as far as to say two dimensional like one sorry one dimensional in in this but yeah there's more there's he's kind of a he's you know kind of a stereotype and yeah uh you know tertura does great with him and you look you look at the pictures of of herb stemple and it it's pretty close yeah so I I, I want to know more, like what was going on. Like you said, like did he really want to? Was he really desperate for this money so that he could support his own family? Uh, you know what was going, you know what was going on with him. Um, you know what about someone like Dan? Like who gets the idea for something like this? Right. And how do they like? At what point do they say like you know okay, well we're on the public airwaves. And we are committing a fraud, but it's also, it's entertainment. It's entertainment. People yeah. are tuning in for, inter- and it reminds me, uh, it brings me back to pro wrestling because yeah. it's like the point isn't whether or not it's actual competition. Yeah. Who's being hurt here by, right. you know, exactly. Like people tune in because, right, they want the drama. And sometimes drama comes from having like, you know, someone who you're like, oh, wow, is this the week they're going to lose? And how long can they keep the streak going? Like Ken Jennings on Jeopardy and among others, there was the more recent example. And I forget her name. Who was the more recent? Like I think I remember who you're talking about, but I don't know. Streak, uh, long win streak on Jeopardy like last year. It's like Kate something. For some reason, that name is jumping out at me. Yeah. I, anyway, I, I apologize. Um, but yeah, you know, I I agree. You know, there's tease certainly it out. what's that? I'm like, t- let's take this story. Let's yeah. let's 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 stretch it out. Let's get more into the like, you know, what, uh, Dick Goodwin. What made this guy tick? What was his like? You know, was he really always smoking the cigar and all that? Like, what was what what was his deal? Yeah. And I mean, like fucking HBO that shit up. Like, let's let's do it. You mean get Bobby Cannavale in there? Get Bobby Cannavale? <laughs> yeah, no, no, he's over at Netflix. Uh, nope, he uh, crossed the street. He's Netflixing now. He's out of the HBO stable. I. Uh, I I only say that because Dan no. and I had a <laughs> yeah. text thr- text exchange earlier about Bobby, Bobby Cannavale, and Dan referenced how he was the HBO's golden boy. Well, because he was on, he was in that uh, it was he like vinyl, sh- vinyl. That was the show I was thinking yeah. of, and then he was on. Was he on Boardwalk Empire? Probably, probably. So yeah. uh, anyway, and and then I watched a couple of episodes of The Watcher on Netflix, which also mm. has HBO favorite Jennifer Coolidge. <laughs> ah, yes, yeah. Uh, can't anyway. wait for the white Lotus season two. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that doing a series would be really smart. Um, a really great way to, you know, tell the story in a more complete way. Um, if you were craving more, <laughs> you know, I think that the, the movie itself does as much as it possibly can do with the time it's given. Yeah. Oh, ab- absolutely. But it also like, if I can, if I can add it, it also like it ties in, 
I think thematically you could connect. I think it, it actually connects better now because now. Dan is coughing. We, I think the American public knows a lot more about how like big business and media collude to, yeah. you know, present something to the American people and whether it's to manipulate the American people, entertain the American people. But I, I think that we are much more aware of that connection and seeing how far back that goes. I think that 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 could be really something really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. So I'm sorry that I, was, I wanted to throw that in there, but yeah, what's uh, what's your plan? Oh, my plan. Well, you know, watching quiz show, of course, makes me think of, you know, the and you can let me know if there's other ones that I just don't know about or I'm just not thinking about, but it makes me think of other movies like Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, in which there is a, you know a conspiracy going on behind the scenes of a extremely popular game show. Uh, and I, I'm, you know, confessions of a dangerous mind is an adaptation from Chuck Barris's memoir in which he, uh, claims that he was a CIA operative and they used the dating game as a way for him <laughs> to, uh, carry out his missions abroad and it's a really fascinating claim because, like, of course the the CIA is going to deny it. And then it's like, is this guy for real? Uh, well, so, you know what yeah. else it reminds me of? What's that? Ishtar. Ishtar, exactly, yeah. Well, I, I mean, Not, Confessions a, of a Dangerous Mind, a Ishtar. Confessions of yeah. a Dangerous Mind is much closer to uh, Quiz Show also because... It's, it's it's based it's the, in reality. Yeah, it's the center of the Venn diagram of those two movies of <laughs> yes. Quiz Show and Ishtar. Sorry, I was trying to remember the this oh god, that song that I love so much from Ishtar. Uh, uh Serious Business? Yes. <laughs> dangerous yes. business. Dangerous Dan business. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um anyway. Yeah, no, I can't so so you're thinking of So oh no no no. So okay, I'm thinking about this one and I I'm sure there are a lot of other game shows that have some sort of like mysterious behind the scenes goings on. Like, uh, I, I mean, of course there was like the, uh, the, the press your luck, you know, the person who like figured out the sequence and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if there's a movie there, but like, I, I'm curious to know what else there is about game shows that, uh, could really fall into the same like series of just like, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. Well, and, and this is behind I, the I, seams. I wonder, I, I mean, you know, just, it makes me think of, uh, Ray Combs, the, one of the family, a family feud host who oh, committed mm -hmm. suicide. Right. Yeah, what was going on there? I also think um, there's a potential story with uh, Mark Summers. Mm hmm. And I mean, I actually, I, I, I actually come to th come to think of it, I wonder how much story there is around some of those, like Nickelodeon shows, um, like like Double Dare, uh, 
especially as you know we kind of learn more about uh you know how things work behind the scenes of of shows like that and we know you know mark mark summers was it was ocd like yeah yeah um and i i think that that could be like a potentially helpful story i think that's more kind of like biopic than behind the scenes yeah Uh, you know and and i and i did work with uh mark summers and harvey uh so Lovely, lovely gentlemen. Really yeah. nice guys. Well, no, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, Mark Mark Summers, I mean, if, you know, the more you know about him, the more, you know, he really can be, you know, an inspiring Oh, person. absolutely, but, yeah. But yeah, I wonder, I, I wonder what other shows and like also in what eras, like, oh God, what about like Hollywood Squares? Like 80s oh, Hollywood squares Jim J. Has... Bullock Hollywood Squares. Yeah. Like what was There's, going on behind the scene? Like yeah, I don't and, hear about that. right. So I think that yeah, Hollywood Squares would be a really fascinating one to um, who would play Joan you know, Rivers. I say to Sherry explore a little bit. <laughs> uh, actually, you know what? There's a um, a really fantastic. Uh, I I don't know if she's considered a comedian or actress. She actually hosted Dan. Do you? Did you ever do that like app game show thing HQ? It was like at six o'clock every day. There's a live host. Scott actually knows one of those. Our brother Scott is like friends with one of the old hosts of that. But like you could actually win money if you, you know, answered, you know, if you were a winner or something. And uh, it was all done on an app. And uh, one of the hosts, Anna Roisman, uh, does a really fantastic Joan Rivers impression. I, uh, I, I don't care for impressions so much, but the way that she does them on TikTok, I enjoy quite a, quite a great deal. Uh. But uh, yeah, if we're talking Joan Rivers, fantastic. I'm just she also does think- a great Hilaria Baldwin. <laughs> I I would have no idea. I have no idea what she sounds like, looks like, anything. Um, but I just, yeah, the idea of of just the nineteen eighties incarnation of of Hollywood Squares fascinates me. I don't know what like. Do you have a game show that you're like, oh man, I really, I would love to find out if there's some like you know crazy shit going on behind the scenes of like this show. Well, I think that what's really fascinating. Well, okay, so like Pyramid, I think is is a great one where I th- and I'm thinking about sh- like game shows that would make really fantastic sets for movie, like set pieces for movies. And right. I feel like Pyramid is one of those. Hollywood Squares is a great one. You know, I think that it's just like they have these iconic sets, and because they include celebrity culture with you know average Joes, essentially, um, I think that that's a really fascinating. Uh, area to touch upon um also as we talked about uh, at the beginning of this show you know people in the 70s dressed cooler like yes you you know it makes so much more sense to like do something in you know maybe like the later 70s um as opposed to like i don't know well although okay i will say though doing a double dare show is a really fun way to uh, okay that would Actually, be a I take fun that movie set. <laughs> I take that. It'd be a fun movie set. I take it back because I feel like any time that the 90s is portrayed 
And I don't know if it's like high definition cameras just like make the spirals and weird like squiggly lines pop in a different way. <laughs> but uh, the fashions of the 90s, maybe it's teal comes across differently <laughs> in 1920 by 1080. But uh, it, it always comes across being like cartoonish and and just silly if you're trying to do something serious it just takes the wind out of the sails whereas the 70s it, there's a lot more beige and brown going on that you know the 70s are very cinematic so cin- very rust se- colors your mustards oh it's so great 70s really look great on screen yeah oh yeah Without um, a doubt. i i'd love to see something much like the 50s uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'd love to see something. Um, I, I, when did Hollywood Squares start? Probably late well, 70s, think, early 80s? I think there was Hollywood Squares. In, oh, was it even further back? In like the 60s? Because who was it? Like Paul Lynn used to be Paul on Lynn Hollywood was a big Squares. One. Center Square, I think. Big time. Well, like, so, I, uh, yeah, I guess then, yeah. It was like, then I think then. that between between that and Pyramid, um, I think that... 66 to 80... Okay. Was the first, I think, like kind of the first run of it. I yeah. remember watching it, I want to say like late, it like, yeah, it says 86 to 89 when it was hosted by John Davidson. Okay. Who, I, who well, I've only ever seen in that and infomercials. Yeah. I, pretty sure Louis Anderson Louis was, and- uh, showed up frequently there before um, being host of Family Feud. <laughs> In the 90s. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so, oh, let me see. Who else? I th- I think um, who else? Sandy Duncan. Oh, Weird Al. I, I came oh, on. Yeah. Was on a bit. Yeah. Charo was Charo. on there. Um, Pee Wee oh. Herman, maybe. When I think of Charo, I think of Pee Wee Herman because they used to do. Right. <laughs> she would appear on uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. Like his specials. And it's like, yeah. And it's just like. What nine-year-old cares about Charo? <laughs> yeah. I, oh, and you remember who the who the announcer was for Hollywood Squares in the eighties? Who? Shadow Stevens. Shadow Stevens. Yes. Wow. Yes. <laughs> uh. So yeah. So Shadow Stevens. Uh. So Joan Rivers was like the permanent center square. Yeah. Uh. Jim J. Bullock was in there. Wait, I think like Howard Stern was on briefly. What? <laughs> Weird. Uh, but yeah, I'm trying to remember. Like, there were a lot of celebrities who I only Michael Dudikoff from the American Ninja movies. I remember Weird. was was on there a lot. Um, oh man, who? It's driving me crazy. Like, I'm gonna be thinking about this like the rest of the night. So what's interesting about Hollywood Squares, I know that we are just like totally just talking about Hollywood Squares right now, but uh, I'd love to know about the the writing on that show, because certainly a lot of these, Joan Rivers might be coming up with some of these one-liner answers off the cuff, but like, uh, and Weird Al, but like, I'm sure that uh, Dudikoff isn't, you know, coming up with quippy responses and stuff like that, so... Uh, I'm, I'd be curious to know about the writing process for some of the uh, the remarks on Hollywood Squares. Wait, hold on. There was an E! True Hollywood story about Hollywood Squares, which makes me think there's something to this. Ooh, okay. All right, all right. 
We'll be looking for that one on YouTube later. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that would be uh, yeah, it's something that would game be shows are so fascinating. You know, I, I, I feel like I'm, I know that there's definitely a, an audience for them currently. Um, there's, there's so many that are out there that of course there's an audience. Uh, I don't remember. I, you know, I watched some, vintage supermarket sweep recently which i know came back with leslie jones as the uh as the host um and then i i watched a little bit of celebrity family feud because that's fun it's steve harvey's delightful on that show so uh-huh. uh yeah you know it's there's there's a whole world of game shows out there where i'm sure that there's uh ripe stories to be mined and um I don't know. If you know of any, please email us, uh, ruinedchildhoodspot at gmail.com. Hit us up on our social media channels at ruinedchildhoodspod uh, on Instagram. Yes, I can't remember. Yes, yeah. at ruinedchildhoodspod. Uh, uh, just go to our link tree. It's in the episode's to, description. Yeah, and in the bio, in our Instagram bio, in our link tree, also will send can send you to our T Public store where you can get uh, wonderful things. Wonderful Wonder- things. You could get wonderful things. You can get yours, and the holidays are coming. So, uh, get I a believe- bunch of get a bunch of mugs for trick or treaters. Yeah, absolutely. They love mugs. They actually love- you can get you can get stickers for the trick or treaters. Yeah, or hey, maybe you're a trick or treater. Get yourself a tote bag. Get They're yourself a treat. Big. You could fit a lot of candy, even like full size candy bars. You could fit in your in your bag. Yeah, go to the rich neighborhoods. Get or those hey, king sides. maybe you're gonna dress up as Bob Wiley for Halloween. You can get yourself a "Don't Hassle Me, I'm Local" T-shirt. I'm vaccinated. Oh, don't don't hassle me. I'm vaccinated. Right. <laughs> like, don't vaccinate yeah. me. I'm local. What? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dan, this was uh, this was a lot of fun. Do you want to tell people what we're going to be doing on our next episode? Yeah, well, our next episode should be a lot of fun because we're talking about 1967's "Barefoot in the Park." Uh, adapted. I'm excited from, to talk about it, Dan. Adapted from Neil Simon's play and starring Robert Redford and Jane, Jane Fonda. Fonda. Uh, and one of their uh, one of their many on-screen collaborations. Um, such a delight, and we'll talk about it on the next episode. But uh, Dan, as you're heading out to um, Somewhere in New Jersey. I forget exactly where the uh, where Mark Van Doren lives, but I wish you a good journey there. <laughs> good journey. Good journey.